All right, we are back. Let's do some science. We've uh, neglected that topic for a while. You know, we do have some good news from the world of, uh, of biology and ecology. There seems to be some evidence that frogs are making a comeback around the world. One hopes so. The crash of frog populations all around the world has been viewed as a kind of canary in the coal mine scenario that alerts us to the fact that we need to pay better attention to this. Something's going wrong. What apparently is crashing the frog population is a type of infection from a certain type of fungus, chytridiomycosis, specifically. It uh, was located a few years ago and thought to be responsible for this, uh, the crash at least between 1990 and 1998. They now feel that frogs in Australia and the United States may be recovering from this, uh, this fungal disease. And apparently tree frogs are repopulating uh, areas uh, of, uh, of the Queensland state of Australia after their numbers nosedived. And likewise in the U.S., uh, apparently Ronald Knapp at the Sierra Nevada Aquatic Research Lab at UC said that the mountain yellow-legged frogs, once dri- driven virtually to extinction, are returning. This is a classic case of the, the, of the frogs that are resistant to the fungus coming back. Well, we hope so. We talked on this show some time back about um, the fact that an ecosystem has developed on uh, the island of Ascension, located out in the middle of the Atlantic. The Economist magazine had quite a large summary of what, uh, what science is coming out of this interesting uh, hodgepodge. The island was once seen as too dry to be worth inhabiting, but Ascension Island is becoming greener at an increasing rate. This is believed to be due at least in part from the forest on the peak of the uh, of the of the mountaintop, which is a deliberate attempt to change the island's climate to make it more habitable, to uh, to squeeze more moisture out of the uh, clouds that pass over the island. The article specifically makes mention of one of the most uh, eerie pieces of science writing I've ever read: Jared Diamond's essay on what happened to Easter Island, catastrophe uh, of of epic proportions caused by humans uh, cutting down all the trees in the island. There's some thought that Ascension Island may represent a kind of reverse Easter Island in terms of man's uh, um, changes in the island environment. What's most curious about the article is that it, uh, it leaves open the possibility that um, there's some climate change going on in general, which is making the island more green and not the efforts to, uh, to um, change the ecology. This, too, is a most interesting question, and uh, like everything else I've been saying in this segment, one we'll have to look at again this year. One thing they are certain of is the fact that when they wiped out all the feral cats on the island, there was about 500 of them, and with traps, poison, and guns, they got rid of them. Uh, Turns out that all the seabirds are now coming back to roost on the main island instead of some of the offshore little uh, uh, rocky, barren outposts that they'd been driven to by the cats. And how about this fascinating article, November 27th issue of New Scientist magazine, talking about how birds perform extraordinary feats of navigation using, apparently, two different senses of magnetism. Now, we've known for a long time that birds uh, use the Earth's magnetic field somehow to orient. Back in the 1950s, it was observed that uh, a bunch of robins locked in a cage would uh, become restless and try to flee their cages in the same direction, the directions of sunny Spain, where they would normally migrate. The 1960s, a zoologist showed that the direction in which the robins attempted to escape could be changed by powerful magnets. 
Naturally, his peers refuse to believe that the Earth's magnetic field may have any, any role in all of this, but the evidence now seems overwhelming. In fact, science is confident at this point that a wide range of animals, from beetles to bats, rely on the Earth's magnetic field to help them navigate. This is something that even, uh, even crude organisms have learned how to do. Bacteria that live on the ocean uh, floor are found to contain chains of crystals of iron compounds that line up with the magnetic field of the Earth and tell the bacteria which way to orient. But the article explains it may not be little tiny lodestones, little crystals of, uh, of magnetite, in essence, that uh, the birds use to orient. There may be a certain protein, which uh, gets in as part of the visual system, that allows birds to actually visualize where the Earth's magnetic fields in their field of view. The magazine published a photo sort of recreating how the bird may be doing it. Pretty interesting stuff. Surprising finding, too. Apparently, birds have this ability in only one eye in most cases. Some birds have both eyes, but in the case of the robin, this compass device is confined to its right eye, and this apparently is what is the case for many migratory birds. Now, if only they could find a way to put this into people's right eyes so they could navigate using a compass. That would save a lot of money on GPSs. You just look around and see which way was north. What's even more fascinating is that apparently uh, uh, some of these birds have iron-based magnetoreceptors in their beaks that don't orient to the Earth's magnetic field but respond to how strong it is, which may en enable them to have a mental map of how the magnetic field on the Earth changes when you go past a mountain range, for example, that may further help them orient to where they are in three dimensions. Fascinating stuff. In addition, uh, the birds seem to recalibrate their, their, their compass every morning when the sun comes up. They know this because they've tricked some birds by putting out a magnetic field when the sun, when the sun came up that oriented them wrong, so they just flew in the wrong direction all day until the next sunrise the next morning. Yes, if the truth be told, science is filled with dirty tricks. An article in Subaru Drive magazine, of all things, uh, the publication that they send me because I bought a Subaru a few years ago, put a decent article about the greening of our rooftops. Starts off by noting that if you should fly over Rancho Margot near the Arenal Volcano in La Fortuna, Costa Rica, which a place <laughs> where, of course, we just were, then you probably wouldn't even see the sprawling collection of bungalows, barns, and a bar there, no matter how low you flew in the plane, because the roofs of all the buildings look like the landscape. And this notion of recreating, in essence, the hanging gardens of Babylon in, like, modern Chicago seems to be uh, catching on. People are putting soil up on roofs and uh, planting greenery. To note, this provides excellent insulation. It, it cools in the summer really well and provides uh, heat in the winter by having extra layers. Sorry to note, I have not yet checked out the, the roofs of the, uh, the California Academy of Sciences in Golden Gate Park, which is a notable example of this kind of architecture. But this, uh, this has great potential for cities around the world, which, of course, are notorious heat sinks. If you could want, find a way to cool things off using, uh, you know, the natural environment, well, why not? Well, I can think of one why not. My roof's almost 20 years old and starting to get a little bit old. I suppose when you have trees growing on it, that... Uh, would tend to age things. And, and in some cases, they are actually putting trees on roofs, but mostly uh, grass and shrubs and such. I mean, that's, that's got to require some extra engineering so that the, uh, the acids in the plant uh, roots and the various uh, soil bacteria don't you know, eat their way through your ceiling. 
And I'd be willing to bet someone here in this environment, uh, Northern California, knows quite a bit about that, about this. And we'd like to hear from you by dropping us a line at info at radioparallax.com so that we can uh, maybe talk to you about this and, and some of these engineering problems that, are, uh, that uh, you know, have to be overcome. Anyway, that about does it for time. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. Our thanks to guests Gordon Smith and Elise Howell. We'll have more to say about, uh, about Costa Rica in some future installments of the program. I'm Douglas Everett. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. We'll see you next week at the same time. Mm-hmm.